The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Teachings of the Buddha, one of the kind of instructions that he gave was he said at one point, um, make yourself a refuge for all beings. I think it's a beautiful statement. The idea of that you would be a refuge for all beings. Somehow, I'm not sure exactly what that would mean, practically, but um, the word that uh, is used in this particular English translation for refuge can also mean safe. Make yourself safe for all beings. And for you or us or me or all of us, to be a refuge, to be someone, a place where it's safe, where people feel safe. They feel like they can be included and held and perhaps in their trials and tribulations feel there's a refuge to come where they can breathe and find themselves and put down some of the, the burden or the struggles of fear that people have. So what do we do with this expanded heart? So um, for me, these last few days, one of the things that's in my heart, cracking my heart a bit, is uh, the plight of these refugees coming across the border from Mexico. And um, perhaps uh, being sensitive to this is a little more acute for myself since I'm an immigrant as well. And so, you know, I have a little bit the immigrant experience. And uh, I came to this country as a child. And um, to come as a child, not speak the language, come as a child and it wasn't ostracized, but somehow in not speaking the language, not speaking correctly, being an outsider, you know, it was uh, uh, tough sometimes. And, and I had a pre- pre- pretty, pretty easy time at it overall. And so now we have these t- uh, children who come to the edges of this great country, a country which does have a history, a mixed history of all kinds of things a mixed history of being welcoming, a mixed history of being very unwelcoming, a a mixed history of supportive for some people and probably we'd say much more than unsupportive for others, actually. And so we have these people, these refugees coming to this country. And so the question is, in my expanded heart, what, 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 what now? How do I respond? How do I... So one of the things that I feel is important in circumstances like that is to be a witness. Um, so, you know, my life is pretty full and it was pretty easy for me to just kind of glance at the headlines of all kinds of things and, and say, well, you know, okay, let that be. And, um, but to be a witness is to, uh, to know what's going on. And for this particular issue, as I glanced at the headlines, this was something that to be mindful of, to be present for. And this, in doing so, it's an example of applied mindfulness, applied attention, applied presence. It's one thing to sit and meditate for yourself and learn how to be mindful, learn how to be present, learn how to maybe let go of your stress and be, be settled. But uh, 
there's also applied mindfulness where we take it and we actually choose to apply it in a certain direction or a certain situation to show up someplace. One of my favorite um, quotes from my first Zen teacher was he said that um, Mahatma Gandhi, no, Mahatma Gandhi, no, no, he said this way, that the Buddha taught the importance of sitting, sitting in meditation. Gandhi taught it was important where you sit. And I love that saying because sitting and meditating is a pretty, you know, unoffensive thing to do. It's not like we're in conflict with someone. But um, if you, like I've had friends who sat, meditated on the train tracks to Livermore Labs here in California back in the early 80s when there was research being done there for nuclear weapons. So they're just minding their own business, meditating. You know, we, we, you know they're not arguing with anyone. And they're just, we're here. <laughs> so the idea that where we sit, kind of, you know, where we put our attention, what we attend to is very important. And where we put our attention is extremely important that w- where we choose to put our attention because we live in a society and a culture where there's people who get paid a lot of money to take your attention as a hostage or to grab your attention and you know and uh, you know it's they're pretty clever at getting your attention and you know it's hard to surf the web without having some of these ads and things kind of grab you and so the idea of uh, being um, the master of one's own attention to be in control of this precious precious resource and not hand it over to someone else so they choose what you pay attention to, but to apply it for yourself. And so for me, I decided to apply it a little bit to studying about immigration and studying, not just reading the news about this particular event, because sometimes I feel that the news is interesting, but, you know, it is kind of, you know, no matter what side of the political spectrum you read, I get the feeling it's a little skewed. And so, you know, what, what's, what's really going on here? So then, you know, to dig under the surface and find out more of what's happening. And I think it's to bear witness to what's happening. And then, um, and then what about the call to action? What about doing something? And so, you know, what am I going to do about the immigration and the border? You know, it's, you know, it's, you know, it's a little bit perplexing, you know, what, what choices do I have? And do I now suddenly not only learn a little bit about it, but what else you know, what are some of the things I can do? And then, fortunately, I got an email. Um, uh, some Buddhist teachers in this country, were, I think they were noticing that the number of faith traditions around the country were, and faith leaders were composing letters and, and um, criticizing what's happening in the border with separating children from their parents. And... Um, and so I read the letter and said, I can sign this, and I was happy to sign it. And, the, you know, I don't know if it's just more than just a little drop in the ocean of people protesting, but it felt important not only to bear witness, but to somehow speak up and have a voice a little bit. And so uh, this was the letter that came, and that as of this afternoon, I think there are about 160 Buddhist teachers who had signed it. As Western Buddhist leaders, we unreservedly condemn the recently imposed policy 
of separating immigrant children from their parents at the U.S.-Mexican border. Over the past few weeks, thousands of children have been inhumanely taken from their parents by U.S. Customs and Border Protection. In a policy that has been condemned by the United Nations and many international human rights observers. Indeed, no other country has a policy of separating families who intend to seek asylum. Whatever the legal status of those attempting to enter the U.S., separating children from their parents is a contravention of basic human rights. Parents seeking asylum make long, dangerous, and arduous journeys in an attempt to find safety and well-being for their precious children. Ripping these vulnerable children from their parents is cruel, inhumane, and against the principles of compassion and mercy espoused by all religious traditions. From a Buddhist perspective, it is the close bond between parents and children that nourishes not only the physical well-being of children, but their psychological health and moral formation. I'll start halfway through. I'll stop now. Um, The impact that on children growing up with their experience, you know, goes on for decades. As a Buddhist teacher and meets lots of people and talks to people, it's just, you know, I'm kind of in awe of how deep children's experiences, children who go through war, children who go through big separations, abuse, trauma as children, and the way in which it goes on and on and on. My father-in-law was a teen when he was put in the German concentration camps. And he survived. That's why I knew him. He's my father-in-law. He died a few years ago. He died about five years ago. And um, so he died somewhat 60 years or so, 70 years after World War II. And he died partly because of World War II. He died still the victim of a war. Uh, and he would still probably still be alive now if it hadn't been for that war. For him personally, what happened to him as a child had such a big impact that uh, that impact lasted for some 70 plus years for a long time. I talked to someone today uh, whose father uh, was in the Japanese internment camps here in the United States. And uh, his experiences of being a Japanese-American here in this country, both during the war and after the war, uh, affected her very deeply. And it continues to this day. The, um, you know, we know that here in the United States, the experience of the Civil War still lives in a kind of very difficult way. And so when children go through this issue of, you know, coming to the border, they're already homeless, already probably challenged. Uh, to even get to the border, to a country which historically has given asylum and support for many people. And uh, they're separated from their parents, quite young children. It's very painful and uh, uh, frightening, not understandable. What kind of conditions are we setting up for the future? So in Buddhist uh, approach to living life or to looking at life, understanding life, uh, uh, you know, if you want to think Buddhistically, the Buddhist way of thinking is to think about life from the point of view of conditions. And conditions is a whole array of things that, that are kind of in the background that uh, are, have to be there for other things to happen. 
the world of conditionality of conditions is much bigger than the world of cause. So uh, cause is kind of usually a very narrow kind of the proximate cause, the proximate condition, the thing that's most, you know, impactful for something to happen. But there's many conditions that spread out all over around that uh, are necessary to be there, but are so distant that we don't even think that they have a role. And so, you know, what is this? Uh, so in Buddhism, we want to take care of conditions, not just causes. And if we only blame causes, look at causes, we might miss some of the important thing that should be done. And um, so, um, in terms of immigrants coming to the United States, uh, I know some of them coming from Nicaragua, Nicaragua and Guatemala are coming here partly because of the tremendous poverty and war and violence in those countries. But what are the conditions for those, uh, that violence and that the poverty and the strife of those countries? Some of those conditions that the uh, United States was responsible for decades ago. And uh, one of the ones in terms of, you know, that I think is, you know, is like, what, like right now in Nicaragua, there's all this violence with gangs and all kinds of things. And I've read, its claim is that a lot of the gang violence in Nicaragua came from America exporting um, some of the prisoners that they had in this country, maybe they were illegal immigrants, but who spent uh, years in American prisons where they were gangified. That's where they learned the culture of gangs. And so when they went back to Nicaragua, it was natural to form gangs in there. And they became very powerful there. And now some of the people coming to the United States are trying to get away from the gang warfare and violence in their communities. So it's kind of coming around. So if you don't take care of conditions properly, they come back and bite you. So what are the positive conditions we want to set in place? I'm afraid that if we take children away from their parents and I don't know how many weeks, months, lifetimes that they're going to be apart, the impact is so big that... Um, are we setting up the problems we're going to have in 20 years? What are those kids going to be like in 20 years? Don't we want to create good conditions? Don't we want to create optimal conditions for 20 years from now? We don't just want to have peace today. We want to create the conditions for peace in 20 years. And so we take care of kids. We support them and nourish them and kind of help them, uh, not take them away from their parents. So the Buddhist way of thinking is about conditionality, thinking about conditions. What are the conditions we want to put in place uh, for, to foster long-term well-being for ourselves, for the world around us? And then this letter goes on. Separating children from their parents and holding them in detention inflicts terrible and needless trauma and stress on young children that hampers and damages their development, causing long-term damage. This policy being employed in the United States soil is morally unconscionable. That such egregious actions be employed as a deterrent for families seeking entry and or asylum in the U.S. using the sacred bond between innocent youth and their parents is unjustifiable on any level. We suggest that our current defenders of this policy visit some of these border crossings and child detention centers so they can experience for themselves the present effects of their decisions. It is difficult to conceive that anyone having compassion for our world's children and their families and who witnesses such pain and anguish for themselves could continue to uphold such a practice. As people of faith and conscience, 
We feel it is important that we speak out clearly in defense of basic human rights at this time, calling for an immediate end to this heartless practice. In doing so, we join the voices of many religious leaders and congregations that have unreservedly condemned this policy of separation. This policy is a serious violation of the rights of the children and must be stopped today. So then I was, uh, you know, doing some reading about immigration in the United States. <clears throat> and then I came across um, a number of uh, places where I read about the economic impact immigration has in this country. And it seems that most of the studies that people have done have said that uh, all forms of immigration apparently is a positive effect on the economy. So in March of 2017, the current Trump administration ordered a study to be done about the economic impact of immigration in this country because they wanted to support their idea of banning immigration from certain countries. And and so they uh, directed the Department of uh, uh, Health and Human Services to do a study on this topic. And uh, some months later, I think July, August, they came, their study was finished. However, when they saw it, they suppressed it and it was never released because the study uh, uh, claimed that um, uh, every year the, the, uh, the, uh, the, the financial benefit of immigration to this country of all kinds of immigration, illegal and illegal, illegal is um, $63 billion. So there might be all kinds of services provided to the people, immigrants, and you know, money is spent for sure, but the net gain is $63 billion. But that was suppressed. And so the idea that we'd have constantly this regular kind of policy of suppressing information, suppressing information over and over again, is kind of astounding. Um, it's not exactly lying to suppress information, but, um, uh, and that, but then to go on top of that, to go and make claims about what's, re- what's there that are unsubstantiated, it seems, and then it has to do with children and the faith of children. It seems, to me, it seems you know, unbelievable that this should be happening. So given this, um, I think it's probably okay to read this passage from the Buddha. Probably. And if it isn't, then, uh, then I don't know what. When cattle are crossing a ford, if the chief bull grows, goes crookedly, all the others go crookedly because their leader has gone crookedly. So too among human beings, when the one considered the chief behaves unrighteously, other people do so as well. The entire kingdom is dejected if the king is unrighteous. When cattle are crossing a ford, if the chief bull goes straight across, all the others go straight across because their leader has gone straight. So too among human beings, when the one considered the chief conducts himself or herself righteously, other people do so as well. The entire kingdom rejoices if the monarch is righteous. So these kinds of issues have been around for a long time. 
And, um, and so what do we do with an expanded heart? I think that the most, the thing that I want to most uh, ask for in considering this topic and being here at a meditation sitting is um, please expand your heart. Please consider how you can allow your good heart to be touched by the people around you. Consider how you can uh, be sensitive to the situation, the people you run into. Please don't ignore people. Please don't, you know, use, you know, just go back, you know, don't just meditate, you know, and that's nice, and then kind of rush off to take care of all the other things and not notice people. Applied mindfulness is the fruit of, of this practice, but you have to apply it. And we can apply it to expand our connectedness, expand our sensitivity, our awareness of others. And part of the reason why this is very important is that our own inner growth, our own movement towards freedom, is partly dependent or greatly dependent on our ability to connect and share this human life with all beings. We have the capacity to expand our heart. We have a capacity to take the time to have this amplified care and connection and love and concern, compassion for the people around us. It's one of the great and beautiful capacities we have. What are you going to do with yours? Are you going to let it have a chance to be in the light, to come forth? Are you going to apply it? Are you going to take the time and give it priority? And if you do, what do you do when that expanded heart has a heartbreak? Because you encounter the suffering of this world. For me, what this practice did is I became much more acutely sensitive to the suffering of this world that we live in. But uh, I think that was a good thing. I very, it's very clear, I have a particular time, moment in my particular day, particular event, particular moment where that was crystallized around this issue. And that was, I was in a Buddhist monastery and something like Time Magazine showed up. And at the monastery, everything, all the news was late, was old. And so, so we hardly ever, it was deep in the wilderness, we hardly ever got any news, magazines or newspapers. But there somehow or other was a Time Magazine. And so I opened it up to the middle of it. And there were photographs of a devastated war scene. One more place in the world where people had bombed innocent people and children. And being, you know, months, maybe a year and a half by that time in, on retreat in the monastery practicing, you can imagine my heart was quite expanded. And, uh, and that kind of hit me so hard to see that. And, uh, and I can say with, I think with some confidence that I'm here today because of what happened that day. That changed me. So, you know, if, if this is a good thing that we're doing here in Redwood City, and some of you have been coming for a while, it's because of that expanded heart met the suffering 
And I think a lot of, you know, my life has been changed I, for myself personally, for the better for that. And I've dedicated myself to wanting to try to support and help the world because of, you know, growing out of that particular impact. So don't be afraid of an expanded heart. Don't be afraid to take the time to stop and take in another human being and feel and sense and get to know them. Don't feel like you have more important things to do than to have have the time, more important than an expanded heart that is a witness, that is present, that cares for this world. It's really one of the best things going. It's a condition for you to thrive and for you to be happy and for you to grow in, in unimaginable ways. What are you going to do with your expanded heart? So, that's what I have to say today. So, would you have anything you'd like to say or comments or questions or anything at all, please? The main thing I want to say is to thank you for bringing this issue uh-huh. into the Dharma talk Great. and into the conversation of the community. And I think it might be helpful for me as well as for others here to hear about ways to engage that don't overwhelm us with this kind of information. So ways to engage without overwhelming. The first thing that comes to mind is... Um, Use your mindfulness to know when you're going to get overwhelmed and stop. <laughs> you know, uh, have a sense of what your limit is and when, it's going to, when you feel like you're coming up to an edge where it's too much. And when that's the case, stop. Stop reading. Or don't stop reading. And maybe it's appropriate to get overwhelmed. I remember, I don't know, I'm just a little bit kind of smiling inside thinking about this, but I sh- maybe I shouldn't. Um... I remember when there was the, um, the shooting, all the children killed at Sandy Hook's school. I just felt like, I, I, when I, that, I, I was on retreat during that time, and uh, teaching, so I was reading the news. And, uh, this I have to read. It wasn't, you know, I had to read about it, even if it was too much. It wasn't like, this, this is too important, you have to witness this. And I was reading it, and then from zero to 60, I started sobbing. So was I overwhelmed? You could say that, but I don't mind sobbing. <laughs> you know. So what do you mean by overwhelmed? Maybe that's maybe that'll help me understand the question because being overwhelmed is just you know you know it means sobbing. You know, that's a pretty human thing to do. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not referring to being moved. Uh-huh. I'm, ref- I'm not referring to being moved. I'm referring to shutting down. Oh, okay, shutting down. Yeah, boy. Well, so when we do this practice of mindfulness and we get some skill in it, then there, there's a it kind of gives us a wider range of choice that we can do. So one of the things is to become more and more sensitive to that movement of closing down and then stop 
you know, this, this is not this is too much. And and the more sensitive you are, the more clo- and you're familiar with this in our, the unfolding, the earlier you can stop. And then if you can stop, then you can take a take a look at the situation more carefully and decide what to do next. One decision would be this this happens too often. I think I need to take a good look at what's happening to me when I shut down. Let me go off and be quiet for a while by myself and sit and meditate or really bring a lot of mindfulness to just what happened. And maybe you can learn something about the dynamics of shutting down. Is it fear? Is it anger? Is it confusion? What happens? And something, something, so some, and then there's probably some relationship you have with fear, a relationship with anger that would uh, be good to understand. So to take that time to really stop and take a look. Another possibility is to decide that, yes, um, I, I'm shutting down, but you know, I think I need to face this shutting down. Maybe I need to kind of allow myself to shut down, but let me try to do it as mindfully as I can. And the mindfulness might not be so great, but let me go through it to really see what I can learn and find out. I have to go do the, do the experiment. Or another situation that might be, you know, I have these important conversations I have to have with these people later today. I better stay as fresh and clear as I can. So this is not the time to experiment with shutting down or be mindful. I think that I see the symptoms coming. I better stop what I'm doing and refresh myself. Go for a walk, have some tea, talk to a friend, do something so I can, not, so I can take care of my life in the way that I need to take care. So those are some of the things that occurred to me. And um, I don't feel like I'm the expert on this topic. But I, I bet, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that you've also given some thought to this before. Do you have anything you want to add that you've learned or what you've uh, you found useful? I do, but the first thing I want to talk about that I learned, I learned on Saturday at the wonderful day long here, um, where um, they were teaching Kingian nonviolence, uh-huh. and um, Kazu reframed mindfulness in a very applied way. Um, that showed me a range of mindfulness I had not yet considered, even mm-hmm. in chaplaincy practice. Uh-huh. So I think some of it is recorded, um, and I found that very useful. In facing suffering of individuals, I find taking breaks and practicing self-compassion to be essential, and not being afraid of my emotions. Mm-hmm. Those are really the two. As a you know, Buddhist teacher who talks to a lot of people who get overwhelmed or feel you know suffering in the world, <clears throat> I've seen a strong correlation between the greater the overwhelm, the greater the shutting down, you know, the greater the, the, the deep sorrow and grief that people feel in the suffering in the world, uh, is a very strong correlation to having unresolved suffering of their own, and um, and so it's kind of like. A, they're not just—they're not recoiling or shutting down from the suffering out there, really, but it's how that resonates or is touching the suffering that's unresolved in here. And so, one of the ways to deal with overwhelm is to t- take time to really reach down inside of oneself and really try to practice and resolve some of the unresolved, you know, feelings, issues that are there. And then, it's possible to. I mean, one of the great things. I mean, I mean, not 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 in a sense for any particular, re- not not for the reasons for it happens, 
But one of the great things is to, um, I think, is to have your heart broken. It, we'd be better off if we had our hearts broken more often. I think it makes us human and touches our compassion and all kinds of wonderful things. So if we can, you know, learn the benefits of not shutting down and just have your heart broken instead, it's so much better. <laughs> Up there. Good. Well, very provocative. Thank you. And as you were speaking early on, I thought, well, these, all these people that are being put in prisons, um, cages, if people like us reached out and said, we'll take a few of you, something like maybe the Quakers do. Now, I'm kind of new to this Buddhist business. I know the, the Zen people are big on hospice. They're, they're helping people out. Now, I don't know about insight people, what they do. You mean so a group of people collectively would take responsibility for a family of refugees, for example, so that they could be, have a space to come to? And I'm imagining that they need to go into, come into communities, that anybody who would want to take some would want to have a community around them. And I'm also imagining that part of this is a, it's a transition. We don't know where they're going to go. We just know that they're in misery right now and that they need some relief, they need some help. Who knows what's going to happen in their countries later? Yeah, yeah, it could be. So it'd be great if you want to take the initiative and uh, see if there's people here at IMC who want to organize and want to see if they want to try to support someone. Um, that would be fantastic. I also thought that people acting and setting an example, um, it's fine to be upset but it's much more effective to do something. Yes. Yeah, I don't think it's so useful to be upset. It's also not very useful to upset other people. <laughs> but there is ways of being active and engaged. That's very important. Sometimes I think that <clears throat> getting upset is a <clears throat> happens because people are not active. If we, if we acted, we wouldn't be upset. I'm not saying that things are... You know, I certainly want to say, don't want to say that things are not right. I mean, things are wrong. But to, to spend too much time being upset is a little bit can be the wrong direction to go if, it's, if that's as far as it goes. So maybe we have time for one more here in the front. just wanted to make a comment uh, following on what you said. Hello? Um, I think one of the byproducts of technology has been that there's so much more information that you can get now than you used to before. And one of the things that I have personally struggled with is when you do open your heart out to certain causes, you find that there are millions of other causes out there on social media, all over the news, you know, LGBT rights, Rohingya crisis, 
Darfur, all these things. And it's very, I think it's a lot easier nowadays to get overwhelmed with these things. And I'm still trying to figure out how to deal with that. Mm -hmm. I think maybe one thing is that it is okay to not do something about everything. But not only is it okay, but it's necessary. It's, necessary. <laughs> it's a slippery slope, though. So I guess my question is, when you do open your heart out, you, there is a danger of being overwhelmed, of being taking on a lot of burden. I agree. So, you know, you can make a, it's a choice of how much you want to let in. You don't have to, we're not required to know everything in the world. Um, but we want to be good citizens and participate in our world in a healthy way, supportive way. So how much does that take? But this thing about um, the... Um, I said just now about, uh, you know, um, pe- people... Are, pe- there's been studies shown that people get less afraid and less angry about what goes on in the world if they feel they can act, even if it's small acts. So sometimes don't underestimate small acts. You know, small things get being done. So sometimes, you know, some people just do a ten dollar donation every time they see a cause that moves them, and um, and just that little thing makes a difference. Some people, what they what they do is they recognize, they take in, they have their hearts broken by what goes on in the world, and it motivates them. It motivates them to uh, try to make a difference, to make a better world. But they're not going to pick up that cause. They're going to uh, pour that interest and that energy into something they're already doing. I'm going to do that even better. So I'm not even more motivated to, you know, to do the thing that I'm doing. And, uh, and that's one way to keep it within, you know, because also some, we specialize, right? And so uh, if we specialize, then we know better, we know the situation better, we can get be more effective there. If we take care of everything, we do everything shallowly and, you know, we don't have such a big impact. But we need, it doesn't take a lot of, you know, a few, a few well-educated, well-engaged people engage, can do a lot on big topics, big issues. So if you already have something you're doing, um, maybe just take what goes on in the world around you and motivate yourself to do even better there. Thank you. Great. So you all have a heart. And it's a good heart. Expand your heart as much as you can. And then ask yourself the question, what, are you gonna, what do I do now with this expanded heart? There's a lot of good things you can do. May your good heart support this world that we live in. Thank you. <laughs>